Fox Called Sorrow, The Legend of Little Fur, Book Two. Written and read by Isabel Carmody. About this digital talking book. Navigation of this digital talking book is by chapter at the first navigation level. This digital talking book was produced by Visibility Limited, formerly the Association for the Blind of Western Australia in Perth, Western Australia. To support the production of this and other digital talking books, please contact Visibility on country code plus six one, area code zero eight nine three double one. Eight two zero two, or by email, library at visibility dot com dot au. The dedication is for my elfin girl. Acknowledgements, thanks to Nan McNab, who received sorrow in varying degrees of chaos and tended its flesh and spirit with Little Fur's own sweet grace. To Jan and Yiji Tibor Novak for inspiration and advice, to Peter Cross, who remains an unstinting source of creative friendship, to my brother Ken, who lends me his precious art books even when he knows it will take forever to get them back, and especially to the wonderful Marina Masiha for her beautiful tender design of the Little Fur series. Chapter One. A storm of omens. It was autumn, and as sometimes happens in that season of heavy golden light and falling leaves, a powerful storm began to brew itself. It sucked up secrets and hidden purposes like leaves, flinging them into the air as omens. Humans, blind and deaf to all but their own desires, could not easily read such signs, but on this night. Children tossed in their beds and threw up an arm as if to ward off a blow. Greeps, those humans whose minds were dimmed and corrupted by their strange, dreadful appetites, had a blurred awareness that something bad was coming, but they felt only a twisted and ugly pleasure at the thought that someone else might suffer. Wild creatures living within the city, in crannies or forgotten nooks, and even some of the tame beasts dwelling with humans. Sensed the warnings that churned in the air, but most responded with no more than a surge of instinct. Squirrels rushed to check their secret hoards, and rabbits examined the roofs of their burrows. Ants rushed hither and thither. Birds fortified their nests and turned their eggs anxiously. But a dog chained in a bare stone yard sensed the rage and hatred in the omens. Half insane from thirst and mistreatment. It began pulling ferociously at its bonds, ignoring the chafing of the collar fastened about its neck. In the city zoo, a lion roared and would not be soothed, no matter how much bloody meat its keeper gave it. And two panthers wove about one another in a tapestry of apprehension. In another enclosure, a frenzy of monkeys mimicked the violence they scented in the wind. A half-starved fox was limping towards the outskirts of the sprawling grey city, over which the storm spread its black and ragged wings. 
It stopped to sniff at the wind and read the warnings and signals. But its anguish was so great that if the world were to end, it would not have minded. It limped on. Those few creatures left over from a previous age could read the omens clearly, for they had been born when all honoured the wind, knowing it for a great herald. But such omens wanted brooding upon to be properly understood. A pixie, who dwelt at the edge of the inland city over which the storm churned, paused in the grooming of his beloved tree to stare at the clouds. He was troubled by the knowledge that by morning the russet glory of its leaves would be torn away. But the roots of the tree ran very deep, and there would be new leaves in spring. He touched the leaves tenderly, turning his back on the clouds and their omens. A boil of trolls at the mouth of a pipe leaking poisonous filth saw the lurid slash of light along the underside of bruised-looking clouds and fell to hissing and cackling in delight. Only one being sought to unravel the signs. Not a creature from a past age of the world, but a crippled raggedy owl that dwelt in a church. This was no ordinary church. Raised at the very cusp of the last age, it was a place where humans had brought hope for hundreds of years. So powerful was the accumulation of their longing that a still and potent magic had pooled there. The owl, who had retreated, wounded, to this beaked house many years before, was saturated in it. The storm rattled the shingles on the steeple and ancient beams began to strain and warp. The owl tilted her head and listened. She watched the stained-glassed windows flash with brief sharp daggers of stormlight. Gradually the set owl, called so out of reverence by the many creatures who came to seek her wisdom, understood. The vital earth spirit which seeks to unite all living things just as a mother strives for peace among her children would soon face a terrible danger. The owl was not surprised to discover that the troll king lay behind the threat, but try as she might, she could not discover what form the threat would take. The magic within the church allowed her to dip into the flow of earth magic and commune with the earth spirit. The owl learned more of the darkness that loomed, but little of what might be done to prevent it. Yet the earth spirit offered the fragile and unimaginably sweet scent of hope not only for the world or for this city where trees once sang, but for the owl who listened. The set owl was very old, even among her long-lived kind. She longed to pass from life and join the world's dream, but the still magic of the beaked house would not permit it. She must wait until one came who would take her place. The earth spirit had spoken of that one, but in the meantime she must concern herself with the danger that the storm foretold. There was a loud crack of thunder. The earth magic that flowed about the beaked house surged and the set owl had a clear, bright vision of the elf troll Littlefur. Small as a three-year-old human, with pointed ears and a wild tangle of brambling red hair, the gentle healer dwelt in a secret wilderness within the city, hidden from human eyes, by seven magical trees. Once she had undergone a perilous quest to protect those ancient trees whom she called the old ones. 
At first, the set owl thought the vision meant that Little Fur must again sally forth on behalf of the Earth Spirit. Then she realised that the elf troll was not the answer to the danger foretold by the storm, but the reason for the troll king's plotting. The owl considered summoning the healer, but at once abandoned the idea. What would she say? It was not as if Little Fur had done anything wrong. Indeed, the opposite was true. The set owl did not try to question the earth spirit further about the healer, because where the elf troll was concerned, the earth spirit would make no predictions. Perhaps it was because her parents had been a troll and an elf. Whatever the reason, Little Fur possessed a quality that was truly strange. She was random. The owl gave a wheezy sigh and wished that these matters might have waited for her successor, but it was not to be. Well, the earth spirit had urged her to seek knowledge. If she could amass enough small pieces of information, perhaps she would get a clearer picture of what the troll king planned. Not far away, the storm front approached the hidden wilderness, but Little Fur did not notice the darkening sky, let alone the omens and signs driven before the storm. She was trying to remove a grass seed from the badly infected paw of a raccoon. There were two rabbits, a mouse, three birds and a hedgehog awaiting her attention, and her stomach was rumbling with hunger, for she had eaten nothing since the morning. She was concentrating so hard that she did not notice the rain beginning to fall, nor its queer, bitter taste. She had managed to work the grass seed out and was gently rubbing in salve to treat the infection when the drops of rain began to fall with a force that scattered her remaining patience. Little first scooped up the raccoon and retreated under the branches of the nearest tree. In spring, the tree's thick foliage would have provided good cover, but it was autumn and its few remaining leaves were being harvested by the rising wind and slashing rain. Alone, she would have hurried through the rain to the top of the hill that rose behind her, pushed through the crown of brambles at its summit and dashed down the steep winding rabbit track into the valley where the old ones grew. Beneath their dense magical canopy, she would be safe from any storm. But the raccoon was too heavy to carry far, and she could not leave it. Little Fur knew, as any true healer does, that mending the flesh is only half of the task of healing a wound or sickness. Carrying the small animal carefully, she picked her way between the trees, staying under cover as best she could until she reached a hollow tree. She climbed into its belly, settled the raccoon, and began to croon a song to its spirit. Gazing out at the sky as she sang, Little Fern noticed the mass of black thunderheads rising like phantom mountains above the trees. Lightning lashed across the sky, illuminating the distant outcrop of human high houses behind the low dwellings of the older parts of the city. The shining towers showed no sign of bending before the fury of the storm. Only things that were alive had the sense to bow before such a force. The high houses looked impervious to the storm, whereas all about her in the wilderness, trees bent and creaked and lashed their branches, yet it would be the city that suffered the greatest damage. Many of the numerous small animals and birds that dwelt in the human structures would be hurt and come to the hidden wilderness seeking her healing skills. It would take a few days before most of them arrived, though. 
In the meantime, there would be injuries within the wilderness as well, mostly caused by burrows that had collapsed or flooded, or by fallen branches or dislodged nests. Nothing serious, she hoped, for Little Fur did not like to imagine that life or death might flutter under her hands. It was too great a responsibility. Such matters ought only to be brought before noble creatures like the old ones or the set owl who dwelt in the beaked house. She dreaded the knowledge that some day her healing skills might decide the question of life or death. Perhaps tomorrow, she thought with foreboding, as the storm closed over the wilderness. An unease was beginning to creep into her bones, but she dismissed it, telling herself she must rest and prepare for the day to come. Her mind drifted back to the high houses, and she wondered if in its high, shining house some human was also staring out at the storm, and whether it was fearful or unafraid. Once she could not have imagined that creatures as malevolent and violent as humans could fear anything. Indeed, her greatest fear had been that humans would come with their axes and hew down the old ones. But after her first perilous journey into the city and the many smaller journeys she had made there since, she had learned that humans were as different from one another as the creatures of any other species. Humans were dangerous, though. To remind herself of that, she had only to count up the number of creatures she healed each day whose injuries had been caused by humans. But Little Fern now understood that rather than being essentially evil, humans harmed and destroyed from fear or confusion or even by accident as much as from a love of violence. She had scented their cruelty and hatred and anger, but she had also smelled the delicious scent of human curiosity and heard the astonishing beauty and power of human song. What she felt these days was less blind fear than a mixture of curiosity and weariness, both of which she exercised when she left the magical wilderness on her self-appointed quest to plant seeds in their city wherever she could find the smallest bit of good earth. On that first journey, she had made up her mind that humans were the way they were because they did not feel the flow of earth magic which joined all living things. Every time Little Fur planted a new seed in a crack or cranny, it would summon the earth spirit, and if she could just plant enough seeds, one day the earth spirit would flow so strongly through the city that humans could not help but feel it. Then would they cease to trollishly loathe and despoil nature. In a way, she thought, she was trying to heal humankind. The arrogance of such an ambition made her want to laugh. She was so small and the city so large. And yet, each time she journeyed out into its streets, she could feel that her plantings were making a difference. The earth magic was flowing more strongly there than when she had first stepped out of the wilderness. She curled around the sleeping raccoon and drowsed, missing her bed among the roots of the old ones so much that she could not sleep deeply. Occasionally, she opened her eyes to see the curtain of rain sway aside, offering a glimpse of the high houses. Sometimes, the gleaming surfaces reflected the jagged lightning, making it seem that they had shattered like sheets of ice. It was not until near morning that Little Fur finally slept properly. 
but shreds of storm omens followed her into sleep, and she dreamed she was crawling through cramped, dank tunnels under the earth. She could hear the shriek of wind and the low, urgent growl of thunder, but it came from below rather than above. It was as if a great storm of rage churned at the heart of the world. She was trying to find her way to it so that she could plant a seed that would heal its hurt. Then she realised she had lost her pouch. This thought woke her to a dazzle of light and the elated song of a thrush bubbling out into the new day.